Hello, this is a warning. I am warning you that this episode spoils Amazing Spider-Man 2, which is why I'm talking over the opening titles, because I completely forgot to mention it in the show. Carry on! And hard form, early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better. Stronger. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. And welcome back to your friendly neighbourhood podcast about comics. Today we have a very special guest who isn't in the opening title sequence. Introduce yourself, special guest. No. Excellent, good. <laughs> um, do, do we, are you going to say anything? Are you going to join in? Or are you just going to sit there and be pithy all night? Maybe. Who are you? You number two. <laughs> <laughs> Who is number one? Anyway, right, okay, moving swiftly on. I got nothing tonight. I got no presents. Nothing. Aww. Oh. Who did get a present, though? I got a present. Did you get a present? I did, yeah. Was it a mammoth packet? It was a mammoth packet, yeah. Did we walk in and go, my, that's a big one? You could put a head in there. X. <laughs> it wasn't a head. Sadly. No, sadly, <laughs> it wasn't a head. What was it? It was... The DC One Million Omnibus. Oh, two of them, in fact. Well, yeah, but one of them is not for you. Yeah, one of them is for Stephen Lesser. So I need to send that on by a carrier pigeon. <laughs> oh, how many pigeons that would take? Just, just that one, would be one, one fat very, it would be a pigeon. very, very fat pigeon. Yes. And who sent you this this wonderful the, gift? The mighty Sean Engel did. He is indeed mighty. Mm. So what what did Sean send you this DC One Million Omnibus for? Um, because because the several times that I have sat here <laughs> complaining that I you get presents and I don't. I, I, I wasn't. I wasn't quite in, expecting a present such as that. You wasn't expecting some a, such a mammoth tone such, yes. in response for your begging. <laughs> it was a begging. It, it was totally begging. <laughs> it was totally. Oh, I, I didn't get anything, Dad. I was expecting a couple of comics that someone's got doubles of. <laughs> no, a DC omnibus. And what did he say to you? He, he sent me a letter. Handwritten right letters. Handwritten, yeah. We like handwritten letters, don't we? Mm. It says. Dear Michael, spelt correctly, well done, Sean. <laughs> and Andrew. Oh, I got mentioned in that. You did. But mostly Michael, since this <laughs> gift is for him. Okay, fair enough. I hope you enjoy the brand spanking new, capable of vagrant killing, certainly not as incomprehensible as Final Crisis omnibus of DC One Million. Everyone's getting spanked but me. <laughs> Michael is now uncomfortable. After hearing you mention it on the show, knowing your love of all things Morrison-y, not to be confused with Morrison. Heaven knows I'm miserable now. And my recent coverage of it on my own podcast, Just One of the Guys, shameless plug, I thought it would be a nice way of repaying you for all the countless hours of entertainment you've given me. Except for Metal Gear Solid. I just didn't get that. (laughs) And also, since I don't recall you getting a package of your own, mailed in from a listener, I thought you were well due. Hope you enjoy it, and all the best on your future endeavours, i.e. get out of your parents' house and get a job. Sincerely, Sean Engel. P.S. Oh, there's a P.S.? Should I read the P.S.? If you wish to read the P.S. Uh, No, both omnibuses aren't for you. One of them is for Stephen Lacey, and your father has offered to deliver it to him when they meet up at the London Over Comic Convention. (laughs) 
Plus, it saves me from having to sell any more plasmas. <laughs> plasma! Plasma! Blood! As I'm feeling a bit... Very good, and I like that he trailed off the pen. Yeah. That was that was very nice. Was Seriously, Mr. Engel, that was an inordinately generous gift. It, it, it was, yeah. Um, Michael was... He's not very good at saying, oh, thanks. No, no, I, 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 was, I was very grateful. I'm opening it. I'm excited. I'm grateful and all that. And then, wait a minute. The receipt's still in here. <laughs> so you saw how much it was. And then I saw it and... And you were excited, and yeah. did you feel a bit guilty? Oh, I do, yeah. Oh, right. Well, it was. I did say to him, he doesn't have to do it, mm-hmm. and he still sent it. Yeah. So, so thank, thank you, Sean. Sean. Yes, that that made him very happy. It did, didn't it? I had to rearrange my bookshelf a little. A that, little? That, that didn't make me happy. <laughs> a little? Didn't you have to take off the complete Encyclopedia Britannica to make room for it? <laughs> I did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we also saw Amazing Spider-Man Two. We did this week because it opened last week. As we're recording this, so it's been open in the UK over a week now. Mm-hmm. I don't know when the rest of the world gets it, but we got it yesterday. America's already got it, don't they? Have they? Have they already had it? I've no idea. Not going to clue. Worldwide I think, release. I think they got it before us. Did they? I think so. It's not been spoiled all over Facebook, so I can only assume they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what did we think of Amazing Spider-Man Two? It was a better Peter Parker film than it was a Spider-Man film. It was quite a bad Spider-Man film. I, I disagree. It was quite a poor Spider-Man film. I don't think it was a bad Spider-Man film. I think it was an excellent Spider-Man film. I think occasionally they make some misjudgments regarding Peter, but Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone are just so damn charming that they get away with it. And I love that the costume was right this time. Only it looked like a baggy... Well, it should, it should look like he made it himself. It doesn't work on a film. It totally works it on doesn't. a film. And I love the fact that he was funny, especially with the fireman's hat on. That, yeah. that was funny and I love the fact that he I saved I like how we knew the fireman's people. name yes that was when they gave him high five yeah. and he saved people no he didn't left and right no, all the way through that film except for the entire first half people. an hour no well the all couple of car crashes the couple of car crashes the police know the risks dude <laughs> all those innocent people in the cars and the taxis just being tossed oh, about no. all over the show because of I think he went to great lengths to save lots of individual people throughout that entire film, which is in a marked contrast to what people have been saying about the Nolan Batman films and Man of Steel. Obviously, it was the purely to show that, A, no good deeds goes unpunished, because one of the guys he does save becomes Electro, yeah. and two, that he can't save the people that mean the most to him. Okay. As he's, has he's, been proven still, in both films. He still didn't save anyone in the first half hour of it. But then he and saved lots of people through the rest his of it. spider sense just completely disappeared. I quite liked how they depicted his spider sense. I mean, that's the most effective way they've except done it on film. They didn't show it when he just well, didn't. Well, except when it was... Wouldn't it be funny if he got over his spider sense? But how many times have they done that in the comics? Ignored his spider sense because it would make it more dramatic. Yeah, when you've got it in the same film and it, it's... It's a bit more obvious in, yeah. a, in a film, yeah. But, you know, I thought it was okay. It wasn't as good as Cap. I was quite impressed they actually had the nerve to go and do what they did. Especially after reading something beforehand, which I thought was a spoiler. What was a spoiler? They said they quite like working with Emma Stone and they would like to work with her in the future. That's not a lie. That's not a lie, but it was on the subject of whether she'd die or not. Well, they're not going to give it away, are they? They're not going to say, oh no, we can't bring her back, we killed Gwen in this film. Spoilers. It's not actually released in America until next week. Oh, is it not? Oops, spoilers. <laughs> Good job this only goes up in two weeks then, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> so yeah, it was alright. I didn't think it was as good as Captain America. I didn't think it was bad. I thought it was a, a fairly entertaining. I just thought the Spider-Man bits were 
Clyde. See, I loved especially that bit. Electro. The, especially Electro. That the final act does seem like it belongs in a completely different movie. It, it, they must have lost budget by the end because the CG in the last act looks horrible. I don't think it looked horrible. There, there were two particular shots of Electro in the big electric field power mm. generator. He looks. He was all pixelated. So really. last gen. Right. Okay, fair enough. It was all right. I didn't, I, we're not going to be as effusive in our praise as we were for Captain America because it wasn't as good as Captain America. The score was interesting. I didn't know Johnny Marr was something to do with the score. I, I saw I, Hans I, did I told you it. Johnny Marr did it several times. And it's not like I listen. Pharrell did it as well? Yeah, I know. What's going on there? Hans Zimmer and Pharrell, and I was thinking, oh, we're just going to get Dark Knight Redux. And then I saw. With Pharrell? Oh, Johnny Marr. Oh, suddenly I have become interested in this score. And it, so that seemed quite I interesting. I didn't think the score was all that great. I, I thought it was interesting. I'm willing to listen to it. And I, I got bored that Electro's theme was the new brand spanking new number one hit single for the movie. You know how all these movies have has, has, it been a, has it been a James Bond theme type single? Or? No, it's not. But it was remixed into the sh- uh, movie every time Electro shows up. And he's there in Times Square and there's bloody lyrics playing underneath it. It just got so annoying. Didn't mind and then Peter and then Spider goes and said later on, "God, I'm getting sick of this song," <laughs> which was which was funny. Which was funny. Yeah. And what did you think of the fact that he has Spider Man, Spider Man as his ringtone? As his ringtone. Do you not think that breaks the fourth wall just a little bit too much? Because does that mean that within the framework, they used it once though. They used it. Yeah, over every time his phone rang. Yeah. Does it does it mean that within the framework of the Spider Man movies, there is a Spider Man cartoon that has that theme tune? Yes. Is that what we're supposed to believe? The Neil Patrick Harris one, but with that theme. <laughs> but that, that would mean that the people who watched the cartoon would know that he was Peter Parker, wouldn't they? With a little bit Although of two people put it together in this film, so he's obviously not very good at his secret identity. Yeah. Anyway. Doesn't he spend half the first one just swinging around with his mask off? Uh, yeah, I was very impressed with that this there time. There were several man. times in the second one where he just swings around with no outfit on. Mm, no, there wasn't. When, was he there? Sh- when he shows up outside the Oxford place. Cambridge, Oxford, whichever. Oh yeah, but that's because he drops down quickly. But he just, most of the time he does. Even when he saw the guy robbing the place when he was picking up the cold medicine, he put his mask on. With his jacket and yeah. his bag and his what, hat. I, what I did like about it was for every major fight scene, he left his mask on. We yeah. didn't get one of those stupid moments this time where he took the mask off because, hey, we're paying Tobey Maguire a lot of money. <laughs> we want to see his face. Andrew Garfield must be like, no, Spider-Man leaves his mask on. But you get the impression Andrew Garfield's read a couple of the comics, though. Yeah. You certainly get the impression Emma Stone has, because she knows an awful lot about Gwen Stacy when she's... I mean, she may just be briefed by her people, mm. but she's she said in interviews one of the reasons that she signed on was because Gwen dies, and that's what she wanted to do. Mm. She wanted to remain faithful to the, the I didn't want them strip. to do it. I didn't. Whether they remained faithful to the comic strip is open to interpretation, isn't it? Yeah. They kind of did. Especially when they're on the bridge. And then they're not, though, when the Green Goblin drops her. Yeah. Suddenly they're in the in- inner workings of a clock tower. Yeah. And I was just expecting, save the clock tower! There is storytelling that starts off in it, Peter's it, watch. Yes. Very clever. Did you notice that the time stopped on 121? I did not notice that. Did you not? No. no. She dies in issue 121. She does. Excellent. Yeah. I did not notice that. Mm. Right. Well, yeah, it wasn't bad, and I'm quite happy to watch it again. I didn't think it completely sucked. Just skip over the Spider-Man bits. No. Skip over the Electro... The Max Dillon bits were awful. Was he Spider-Man. Oh, Spider-Man. Oh, man, Spider-Man. Oh, it's my birthday. Thank you, Spider-Man. It was a bit strange, wasn't it? Was he Ultimate Electro? Yeah. Was he? Yeah. Right. Because he's not... No. 
616 Electro, I think we're supposed to call him, aren't we? Mm. Right, so he was Ultimate Electro. Yeah. Is his origin Ultimate Electro's origin? Not or no just idea. his look? Just his look. Right. Because I don't remember Ultimate Electro in the comics at all. Yeah, but he was yellow. Was he? But then he turned blue when he supercharged. Only this time he's blue and turns red when he supercharged. Yeah, and you can see all his, his veiny stuff. Alright. Yeah, I find it quite funny how when he got the power to go through electricity, like he still kept his underpants on. Well, we don't want to see We don't want no, we don't want that in the spider. No, we don't. I liked that there was no swearing in it. At all. Which meant that your sister could watch it and that was great. Except they seemed to think that they could put trailers before the film that with has a bit of swearing in yeah. it. Because I was going, This really isn't a suitable trailer for this film. Mm. It's got Jonah Hill in it. It's really not a suitable film for me, personally. Oh, this one's got Seth Rogen in it. Wow, it just gets better. This is why I don't watch trailers anymore. Oh, the Godzilla trailer on oh, the big screen. Oh, the Godzilla trailer was okay. Brian Cranston looks weird with her. He does. Doesn't he now? He looks a lot younger. He, do, he looks a lot younger, yeah. Anyway, that was Amazing Spider-Man 2. We hope you enjoyed it. Should we go to emails? Okay. Should we, we go to the email section of the show? First email today is David Gutierrez, Inheritance and Your Friend Show. So he kicks off by saying the show with your friend. Nicely done. I enjoyed it and would like to hear more. That was the one I did with Scott. Hey, Scott. Alison. Hey, Scott. Alison. Scott. Hey, Scott. Alison. Well, we know hey, lots Scott, of Scott, Alison. so I've got, to, I've got to point out which one it is. Bestest buddy, Scott. Alison. When we talked about Veronica Miles in the pub okay. for an hour and a half. Scott getting more and more inebriated as he went through. I saw you getting more and more inebriated through text. I, I did not get more and more inebriated at all. I no, no, like... you were just inebriated. Oh, yeah, most of the time. <laughs> anyway, David says, Leyland's, I've been giving much thought to your possibly controversial opinion that the children of creators should not share in the financial rewards of the creator's work. I'm still not sure if I agree or not. I was curious if you feel this should extend to all creative works, music, literature, etc. And what of cases where a team or per creates something on one of them dies should control and financial rewards be distributed to the remaining member of the mem- or members of that group well that's a very, very interesting question isn't it alright let me post this to Michael and our special guest who Burley has talking do you think Jerry Siegel <laughs> Burley has talking I can speak English mate. do you think Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster's urge should get paid for Superman no did they do the work mm, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster did did their hours no well then <laughs> Is that your, that's your opinion. Okay, right, so let's take that further. Do we extend that to, say, the Beatles? 50% of the Beatles are now dead. So And all their money goes to Yoko. <laughs> so does the remainder of that money, such as it may be, now get split even between Ringo and Paul? I would say yes. Yeah. And I, I stand by my, as David puts it, possibly controversial opinion. Paul McCartney's children did not write the Beatles songs. Hmm. That's the bottom line. Now, if Paul McCartney has made some provision for this and got it written in his will that, you know, any musical what's-his-names will go to his children, then fair enough. But they didn't do it. And Stella McCartney has her own career, doesn't she? Isn't she a fashion designer of some description? Yeah. Yeah, so I know it's possibly controversial, and it is only my opinion. Other people are free to disagree, but no, is, is what I think. People can agree on this. How does Michael feel about this? Well, I just asked him. Is he waiting for you to come up with a blockbuster zillion dollar idea? No, he's got plenty of his own. No, but I am. Uh, yeah, is that what you're waiting for? If Michael was missing and you become a billionaire industrialist, will you then take a dying policeman and have him undergo plastic surgery to look like Michael? No, I would not. And when your son makes his inevitable turn, will he come back with a stylish mustache and vow revenge against this stranger wearing his face? I, I would have a stylish mustache. 
I just imagine you coming back with my name is Oliver Queen. I lived on an island for five years. I'll come back like a Matt Berry. Father! <laughs> how did my school interviews go? I don't know. How did your school interviews go? No, they were fine. I've got another one. They, you, want, they, you, they want me. You've got a second interview. One out of four places want that's me. That's not bad. That's that's okay. You only need one. I do, yeah. That's, that's quite good. Best, David. Well, thank you very much, David. For, I'm glad you, you didn't get all bent out of shape about our possibly controversial opinion, as I was expecting some people to do. Kicking it old school is the subject heading of our next email fat stacks yeah Uh, Ian McGregor has emailed in Ian McGregor not Ewan McGregor I heard I know you got quite excited there for a second at the very real possibility that Ewan McGregor knows I live (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't think he cares really do you no. <laughs> Hi guys, first off, great show as always. Well, thank you very much. Self-aggrandizing much. Just a quick note about one more day. You were discussing <laughs> who made the deal with Mephisto. MJ did push for the deal as long as Peter's secret identity was put back in the bottle. But Peter did also agree. When MJ asked him to make the deal, he says, and this is the exact dialogue, No! Do it! Yes, he did. I'd forgotten about that. But I yeah, because uh, he didn't in Brat in, in one moment in time, didn't did he? Not? I don't remember. No. Because that's what I said. I couldn't be bothered going back to read it to make sure if I was right or not. That's so why I've never actually argued with anyone on this point. That's why One More Day exists. Right. Because that wasn't in One Moment in Time. Wait, no, was it, it was One, one more, more Day and then One Moment in Time fixed it, yeah. yeah. Was it? Yeah. I'll take your word for it. I thought they were both terrible. Although, i got to say, mm. that dialogue is up there with Mame, isn't it? I, I do like Peter's... <laughs> it's quality, isn't it? Ian continues, now I'm about to make a statement that is very controversial. Well, this is the show for it, yeah, isn't it? Controversial opinions are us. I do not think that Sin's past is as bad as some make it out to be. I actually think that the first three <laughs> parts are very compelling and excellently ratcheted up the tension about Gwen's secret. On that, we agree. Mm-hmm. I agree with him on that statement. Once Mary Jane reveals that she knew about the Stacey twins and Gabrielle becomes the Grey Goblin, however, I agree the story falls apart. See, Ian, we don't disagree there. Yeah, the first three parts are brilliant. And it was one of those times with reading a story, you wanted a reset button. Yeah. You didn't want this to be true. Sin's past, continues Ian, is a good example of the big issue with Straczynski's run on Spider-Man. He had very good beginnings and middle parts, but often had a hard time reaching a good conclusion. Babylon 5. I think that JMS's original idea, the twins being Peters, would have made a good what-if, but should not have been in regular continuity. The idea that we got, the twins being Norman Osborn, could have been an interesting idea, but was terribly executed. I still have nightmares about Sins Remembered. Anyway, to sum up my thoughts on Sins Past, intriguing idea, good first part, bad ending, terrible follow-up. Despite JMS writing Sins Past, I still hold up the JMS run with J.R. Jr. as one of my favourite Spider-Man runs ever. JMS post-J.R. Jr.'s run is more hot and cold. Great episode, regards Ian McGregor. I don't disagree with any of that. So it wasn't possibly controversial, Ian. Mm-hmm. It was spot on. You know what I find quite impressive with Straczynski's Spider-Man? What? It came to a conclusion. Well, he, he does have a PS. Michael, you mentioned that JMS's Thorin had a bad ending. I'm really confused. It ended? <laughs> <laughs> oh, very pithy. Mm-hmm. I like that. Our next email is from Gotham Kid. I presume that that's an alias. <laughs> and his first name isn't Gotham. <laughs> And his surname isn't Kid. Although he could be Mr. Kid. I don't know which is his surname or which is his surname. Well, I presume that Gotham is his first name. Well, that's like Kid Rock Mr. Is Kid yes, Gotham. Yeah, that's very true. Or he could be like Mr. Winton, Mr. Kid from the James Bond film Diamonds Are Forever. Hmm? The two homosexual lovers. What if it is Mr. Kid? What <gasps> if he's found us? That would be awful because he would kill us with scorpions. Yeah. And that would not be good. Andrew and Michael. I get first billing. <laughs> 
I really enjoyed your Joker coverage. My personal favourite Joker stories were some of my first. Luther, you're driving me sane from Joker number seven, and the Joker's cross-country crimes from Batman number eight, but I had it in the tabloid-sized limited collector's edition issue 37. I agree with your assessment of the death of the family and Scott Snyder's run in general. I think the only weakness in it has been the nature of DC's events. Between the Batman Incorporated arc, which ran somewhat counter to Scott's efforts, and Nightwing's troubles in Forever Evil, there has been no chance for the ramifications of death of the family to breathe and really be felt. Thank you very much for the glimpse into the world of UK comics with the Spider-Man and Transformers episodes. I know about things like the Beano in 2000 AD and have had some exposure to British comics through my Doctor Who Classic Comics magazine that reprinted strips from TV Action and TV Countdown. However, I assumed Silver Age Marvel was released in Britain as it was here, in large part because of seeing comics on eBay with a 15p price tag. Other than the cartoons, I didn't have much of an affinity for the Transformers. I did have an affinity for Ravage because he was one of the few that I had. He was sidekick to Soundwave, who was the espionage expert for, expert, sorry, for the Decepticons. I enjoyed the shows. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you very much for emailing in, Mr. Gotham Kid. Mr. Kid. Or Mr. Gotham. We don't wish to uh, to get that wrong. You're know, speaking of the UK Marvel comics. Yes. During Amazing Spider-Man, he says, oh, I'm going to go to England with you. Yeah. I thought, wow, are they going to do the UK comics? That would Wait be awesome. Wait a minute. What's she wearing? Oh. Where are they still? Don't do it, Mark Webb. Did what she was wearing give it away for you? That they were going to do Only when it, it twigged. Right. See, I think I'd seen a still and somebody said, she's wearing this. And then they'd posted a picture of the thing at the side of it and I went, I am so going to kill you, paparazzi. Because <laughs> that spoils the film. Yeah. Just knowing she's wearing that outfit spoils the movie. Well, wearing that, being on the bridge. I was half right. Mary Jane was on a bridge in the first Sam Raimi one. She didn't die when she got tossed off it, which is a shame, because Kirsty James was <laughs> insipid. Anyway, Chris Franklin has emailed in, Lone Wolves and Star Lords. Ooh, that one. I enjoyed that one. Mm. I had a lot of fun on that one. Hello, Leyland. Hello, Chris. Thanks for the kind words on Supermates, which is a podcast he does with his wife, Cindy. Do I clue that show enough? The check's not arrived yet, Chris. That's all I'm going to say. Yes, it was MJ who made the deal with the devil, and of course, Gwen did the nasty with Norman Osborn. No, she didn't. I I prefer to forget both of these events. What events? Particularly the latter. Yes. We agree, it's crap. I don't care who you are. Your pedigree does not permit you to whiz all over 50 years of continuity and character development. But I digress. I think I read that same Starlord magazine you covered back in my college days as a comic shop clerk. I recall feeling it really was a cool concept and design, but the ensuing mini didn't grab me either. Gotta love Bird on sci-fi stuff, he's got a real knack for it. And in Clermont and Austin you've got some damn fine comics. It does seem to have some logic holes at the end. Too bad. Not sure what has been done with the character since then, but the Star-Lord in the new Guardians of the Galaxy film looks nothing like this version. The movie does, however, look fun. Marvel Studios knows fun. Unfortunately, the DC and WB have forgotten that acquaintance, apparently. The Star-Lord in the movie... Yes? ...kind of reflects the Star-Lord that was in the Guardians of the Galaxy comic. Does he? That's what, it, that's what happened to him. Right, OK. See, I've never read Guardians of the Galaxy. Well... Apparently he's in that. that I, only, I only found out recently. That Star-Lord comic we read is my only knowledge and that of, of Star-Lord or the Guardians, or even Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> I think I may have seen him in issue of Hulk. Yeah. I think that's the extent of my knowledge of him. I read some Lone Wolf and Cub years ago, continues Chris, when first printed it, and yes, those Miller covers were from that run. I will openly admit I'm not much of a manga guy, but I know a good comic when I seize it, and those are good comics. Love the recap, makes me want to try them out again. Take care, Chris. And he's got a PS 
about the Back to the Bins episode I did um, of Adventures of Superman that I did with Paul Spataro and Michael Bailey and Bob Fisher. And uh, it was very, very good, and, and he enjoyed it, and I enjoyed doing it also. So thank you. If you've never checked that out, go and check it out, because we had a blast doing it. Final email for tonight is Thomas DJ, host of Better in the Dark, which is a podcast about films. It's good. Okay. Check it out. Leyland's, I am disappointed. Oh, dear. <laughs> Daredevil deserves more than two measly episodes. He deserves a month. No, two months. No, a quarter of a year. Um, okay. I, I disagree. Sorry about that. I would say that we did more than two measly episodes. We did two great episodes. Ah, that's a good point. It is. It's well put. Uh, if you want more Daredevil in your podcasting, I suggest you drop on over to J. David Wheater's excellent podcast, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Uh, yeah, that'll do for email for tonight. We've got plenty more coming up, but if you're not one of them, well, quite frankly, you've only got yourself to blame because I don't control who emails in you control you emailing to me. Mm. So if you wish to be part of the email bag that includes such luminaries as Davis Zamora, Timothy Ellett, Sean Engel, the aforementioned Chris Franklin, Dave Gutierrez gets back to us, Mike Bailey, Dave has emailed in. Just Dave. Doesn't have a surname, according to my email list. And W. Blaine Downer. And of course, Luke Giaconetti. All those people have emails in the sack waiting to be plucked into my waiting hands and gobbled up by my greedy eyeballs. Okay. <laughs> we'll be back right after these commercial messages with a look at girls in comics. Not like nudie ones. I'm always looking at girls yes, in comics. Yes, I, I know you They're are. not comics. They're, no, they have staples in them. I'm reading the stories, honestly. Honestly. You're reading the interviews, are you? The Grant Morrison interview? Excellent, yeah. Your dad did that one. I did, yeah. I stood in in W.H. Smith reading Playboy openly, (laughs) and people mocked me, and I said, actually, I'm reading the interview with Patrick Stewart, and I genuinely was. (laughs) We'll be right back. Lovely listener. Trennis Magnus punches reality. Comics, movies, and TV shows. Trennis Magnus punches reality. The People's Geeky Podcast. Trennis Magnus punches reality. Celebrating 50 ball-smashing episodes. Trennis Magnus punches reality. Episode 50, coming July 1st, 2014. Only at two true freaks.com. I'm not kidding around either. If I ever find out my show's been syndicated on some other podcast network without my permission, I'll sue a motherfucker. One of the key movements of the 1970s was the celebration and advocation of women's rights, and this burgeoning women's movement, along with any other marketable concept, was also at the forefront of comics publishers' minds. If nothing else, here was a heretofore untapped market. While 70s pop culture had both its good representations of women, Lindsay Wagner as the Bionic Woman, Linda Carter as Wonder Woman and Angie Dickinson as Police Woman, even if the latter was saddled with the rather stupid name Sergeant Pepper and Bab, Jiggle Television never really went away. The comics has floundered in this regard. 
DC had introduced female copies of their heroes, Supergirl and Batgirl, but they were rather insipid in their depiction of gender politics. Marvel had introduced Sue Richards as the Invisible Girl and Jean Grey as Marvel Girl, but the fact that they were both still called girls, despite being fully-fledged women, summed up one of the problems. By the 1970s, DC were updating and revamping their female characters, whilst Marvel were creating new ones. Over at DC, Lois Lane would learn what it meant to be identified by your race in the interesting story I Am Curious Black in which she walked in another woman's shoes quite literally for a day. Later in the decade she would drop the tag at Superman's girlfriend. Over at Marvel though Stan Lee had something of a dilemma. Having spent most of the 1960s mocking DC for having many spin-offs from their more successful characters such as Supergirl and Batgirl, Bat-Hounds and Super-Cats, Lee would ironically find himself forced into a position where he had no choice but to do the same thing. In the late 1970s, Marvel had sold a number of its properties to TV studios for development as TV shows. Doctor Strange and Captain America didn't make it past the pilot stages, but Spider-Man and the Incredible Hulk had been successful enough to go to a full series. Stan, aware that Universal had taken Martin Caden's novel Cyborg and turned it into smash TV hit series The Six Million Dollar Man, was also aware that Universal had then created a female counterpart called The Bionic Woman that Caden owned no rights to, despite it merely being a female copy of his creation. Stan was determined that this would not happen to him. Spider-Woman first appeared in Marvel's Spotlight issue 32, published in November of 1976, just as a live-action Spider-Man movie was being shot for erring in early 1977. But the one Stan was most concerned about was the Incredible Hulk. By the late 1970s, the Hulk TV series was very popular, and afraid they would come up with a female version of the property, Stan rushed his own idea into print. People laughed at Stan for this, but an episode of the series mimicking the comic's main plot of a blood transfusion from Dr. Banner to a relative was pitched by producer Kenneth Johnson. Stan was again ahead of the curve. The Savage She-Hulk number one was published in November of 1979 with what I think is a pretty neat cover by John Buscema. It mimics the Hulk in many ways as a young woman resplendent in flirt trousers and necktie stands beneath the towering figure of a green-skinned lady. The crowd behind seem to be reacting to the green lady, implying that either the smaller figure is a hallucination or there are two people here. Or a third alternative, it's a symbolic cover. Stanley proudly presents the She-Hulk Lives, runs the cover blurb, alongside the rather boastful number one collector's item issue sticker. Because we are not women, although we have been accused of being girly on many an occasion, we have invited a genuine flesh and blood woman onto the show. We had to catch her with a net. We did. <laughs> to ask her opinion on the three stories we are covering tonight. So first of all, ladies first. Michael, what do you think of... <laughs> oh, you're so funny. <laughs> Angela, what do you think of that cover? That wasn't one of my questions. Oh, so you're refusing to answer it? <laughs> I read the comic. You didn't look at the cover? No. You did not analyse the art? No. You did not look at every single panel and judge it on its own merits as an artistic panel, piece? No. No? I, I read the comic. Excellent. Okay. Those are amazing trousers, by the way. The pink trousers that she... It's the 70s, dude. Awesome flares like that. Just she, not pink. The high-waisted with a large belt buckle on them and very flared, aren't they? She looks, she looks kind of bored considering she's about to be attacked. <laughs> well, that, that's the problem with the cover because all the people behind are recoiling as if yeah. the She-Hulk is real. 
But is she? Does she have like massive warts on her back that everyone's it's, terrified of? Is Jennifer of? Walters real or is the She-Hulk real? But how the She-Hulk's that... towering over and looking yeah. down on her. So, but, so how does that cover work then, Ted? Maybe it's one of those things where she's just kind of creeped up on her like that. But she is her. I but maybe they're actually... Unless it's played by a different actress. Well, yeah. That would work. she's got a completely different her. She has got a completely different her. Where does all that her come from when she hulks out? What if, if that was a TV show, was she played by Louisa Ferrigno? <laughs> uh, and Wilhelmina Bixby. <laughs> right, well, uh, I thought the cover was alright. It's John Buscema and Joe Sinner. They're pretty good artists. The Hulk, the She-Hulk, sorry, doesn't look particularly bra-popping as she would look nowadays if she was drawn by a, a modern artist. And she's her waist kind of, isn't tiny-tiny. She's kind of vest-popping, though. Yeah, I mean, she's not a small girl, but, you know, the Hulk's probably a big lad. The She-Hulk Lives is also the title of the story, created and written by Stan Lee, illustrated by John Buscema and Chick Stone. Do you want to read the synopsis? That'd nope. Cool. <laughs> that was another list of questions. <laughs> Dr. Banner, first name irrelevant, has journeyed to LA to seek a respite from being hounded by the world at large due to him also being, spoiler, the Incredible Hulk. He meets up with his cousin Jennifer Walters. Jen is now a lawyer working on a case against Nick Trask in which she is defending a hood named Moncton. Moncton is no saint, but he's also not guilty of this crime. Banner is concerned for his little cousin's well-being, but Jenny insists on letting him stay at her house, especially after she hears about his large green-skinned problem. Banner was right to be concerned, however, and as they reach Jennifer's house, Trask's men attempt to hit on her life. They flee after the deed, and Banner is forced to give Jen a blood transfusion and calls the police. A cell for Banner leads to a Hulk out and more running, but Jen, thanks to Banner's quick acting, makes a good recovery. This, however, makes her a target, and a second attempt on her life is tried, but this time, Jennifer Walters' pulse races, her heartbeat increases, and a startling metamorphosis occurs. Now a six-foot-tall, rampaging monster with a greenish tinge to the skin, Walters fights back against her assailants, who dub her She-Hulk. She manages to corral the men, and terrified they confess all, conveniently, just as the police arrive. Returning to her hospital bed, Jennifer Walters realises that Banner's transfusion has changed her life irrevocably, and she too must learn to control the mighty and raging fury within. I'm, I'm getting that. That was it. kind of my response. <laughs> Well, don't bury the lead. <laughs> Stan takes the piss out of both the TV show and himself in the captions on page one. He states, Colin David or Bruce or Bob, what does it matter? Which, of course, refers to Dr. Banner's names changing numerous times over the history of the comics. In the TV show, obviously, he was David Banner, or in the comic, he's Bruce Banner. But Stan made the mistake of calling him Bob Banner in an early issue of the strip. Stan's genius! solution to this problem. Do you know what it was? Go on. He pointed out to the person who emailed in saying you called him Bob Banner and his name's Bruce Banner was that Robert was his little used first name and that's where Robert Bruce Banner came from. Okay. Couldn't get away with that now, could you? I, I just assumed it was because when he went on the run he has different names. Well, he hadn't got on the run at that point. Because <laughs> in the early ones, wasn't he um, just like a werewolf? Didn't he just change... Yeah. At night in the early in the early strip. The Werhulk. The Werhulk, yes. Which works, I think. <laughs> That's not what he sounded like when uh, Ted Cassidy used to do his voice. It was more of a... Was it more of a gronk? Yes, it was... No, that was Chewbacca. 
Chewbacca. Chewbacca. Chewbacca. Chewbacca the Wookiee. Isn't that bread? <laughs> As with the Daredevil issue we covered, trying desperately to keep it on topic. This is a TV show banner, isn't it? Yeah. Irrespective of the name. This is not the comic show banner. Mm. as with the, the Daredevil episode that we mentioned in keeping with the times Jennifer is a successful career woman in this case a lawyer and uh, she seems to have quite a decent job doesn't she? unless she's just an intern which yeah. was your theory but she has a very nice was job it? no I think she is actually proper lawyer what did you think? Was that, was that not one of the questions? No, that was one of the questions. This is a man's job! <laughs> Fair play to, ta- to Stan. She's actually portrayed as being quite nice and likeable and just no love interest shoe-horned in. Smart. Mm. Yes, she's portrayed as, as very smart. Uh, Banner explains his origin on page three for people that aren't aware of it. Yeah, I was thinking, but we know his origin. But it's an issue one of a new character. It is, that's so. true. And also, people who come into this who are only familiar with the TV series yeah. may be thinking... The, what the hell's this? He didn't do this. He injected himself with gamma rays trying to find out how people grow really strong in times of great stress. I don't know why uh, why Rick Jones drove into the desert just so he could play his <laughs> It's harmonica. harmonica yeah. Because Rick Jones is a bonehead. <laughs> uh, in this telling, though, Rick is also a ginger. Yes. And the Hulk was never grey. Mm. Note. Oh. He went straight to being green. Because in reprints of the first issue, he was green, not grey. Oh, they changed his colour? Yeah. In the original first issue, he was grey. Right. And then in subsequent issues, he was green. So in reprints, they made him green. If you'd gone back and fixed it, then where did Grey Hulk come from? Uh, Yeah. I thought this was quite fast-paced. I thought it fur rattled along. The scene where Jennifer gets attacked is notable for Banner not hulking out, simply because the plot calls for him to not hulk out. Yeah. You know, otherwise Jennifer's dead. I, that was weak Jen, sauce. Jen got shot, so I'll shoot them with a uh, fire hose. Well, I'll shoot them with a fire hydrant. A little, little sprinkle. Because I've seen the police do it. And, yeah, well, that kind of hydrant has a lot of power behind it. It's a little yeah. watering yeah. thing for a garden. <laughs> what a minor inconvenience. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen him in much worse situations than that, and he's hulked out before. Mm. Hasn't he? This is the guy who on the TV show got stung by a couple of bees <laughs> and hulked out. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, there was a lot of bees, <laughs> and that would irritate you. They do hurt. They do hurt, indeed. But then the other one, where the, the call operator what, put him through to the number he wants, <laughs> he hulks out. But being shot at, I guess. Being shot, yeah, perfectly understandable that he'd get annoyed at that. But here, being shot at, no hulk out. I just find it funny how he, he just goes, Ah, oh, yes, we have the same blood type. I'll give her my blood. Wait a minute. Yeah. Couldn't this turn her into the Hulk? No, he doesn't even think that, does he? No. At no point does brainy Dr. Banner at any point think, Wait a minute, giving my cousin <laughs> my blood could result in her hulking out. No, it never even crosses his mind. Mm. He even buggers off at the end of this story and doesn't give her a second thought, does he? doesn't he? even get the bullet out of her. No, well, the, presumably the doctor does that. He just keeps Eventually. her alive till the ambulance arrives. That's is my thinking. But why is that not plausible? Because he carries her around to the neighbour's house instead of you know leaving her where she is, and then just <laughs> puts her down anyway, gives her a blood blood transfusion, and just forgets all about the bullet in her back. Well, my that wasn't my problem. My problem was it was really convenient that a doctor lived across the road, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't in. It wasn't in, so Bruce breaks in. Breaking an entrance. Breaking an entrance. So, see, he, he, all these crimes he didn't commit. He actually didn't commit this one, <laughs> yeah. didn't he? I liked the Hulk out that we finally got, even though we don't actually see it. He gets put in prison after taking her to 
the hospital because they suspect that Banner's involved with it in some way. And then we see him hulking out and then we just see a big hole in the wall like the camera's pulling back, which they would do on the cash-strapped television show quite a lot. You remember they would show the after effects of a Hulk out rather than actually show him doing it because that was cheaper. Mm. And then he'd run off down that alleyway <laughs> that was the same alleyway every week. Was it the same uh, stock footage? It was just the same footage every week, yeah. The She-Hulk first appearance is a little bit anticlimactic in that we don't see a change again. We're denied a Hulk out. I'm a big fan of Hulk outs. Mm. I love the eyes, the white, the ripping, the shirts going, the dip, 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 the dip, dip, dip. all that stuff. <laughs> I'm a big fan of that. And this just struck me as a real missed opportunity. Although, to be fair, mm. the Why Don't Banners Pants Fall Off Brigade probably had a field day with this, didn't they? Wonder how the shields clothes don't all fall off. I don't know where she grows the hair from <clears throat> and what happens to it when she turns back into Jen. Because it is very, very long hair. It's all the way down her back. Yeah. Whereas Jennifer Walters has like a, Does a it bob. Hulk out? A hulk's out as well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, suddenly the fact that the Hulk loses the beard when he hulks out <laughs> in one of those Bixby reunion movies just doesn't bother me anymore. Because <laughs> she can grow a her, obviously. Yeah. It grows all over. I do like how it changes to green, because why not? Why not, yeah. <laughs> Gamma radiation does that to you. Do you <laughs> okay. not know this? Leonard Sampson has green hair. True. He's been exposed to gamma radiation. It, it makes perfect sense. I suppose you can argue, okay, she's more covered than the Hulk is. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Those men are objectified. I'm not objective. Well, yeah, the Hulk's objectified. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, if she went from that size in a hospital gown to that size in a hospital gown, then hospital gowns are not very flattering, so she would have to be huge to rip it. She, she's probably a lot bigger than Jennifer Walters. But, you know, that's just it, it doesn't bother me to nudity in comics. Oh, semi. It's a hospital gown, so what's covering her behind? Nothing. That's why the hair's so long. (laughs) That's why she's grown all that hair down the back. Fair enough. So that we can't see Hulk buttocks as she runs around um, (laughs) throwing people through windows. Frank Cho's uh, redrawn his comic. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine Frank Cho has done a version of this comic for somebody, somewhere, at some point. Uh, nowhere in this issue does it mention that Jen retains her intelligence when she's She-Hulk, although she does have a, more of a command of the English language than he does. Likewise, the story implies that Jen is like Bruce and Hulk's out when angered, outraged, or stressed. No mention is made here that she can control all of this. She's just always She-Hulk now. Though. Yeah, she's is she stuck like that now? Or know. does she just choose to stay like She-Hulk because it's more fun? I have no idea. She's just always She-Hulk when I've read it. I think there, was, there did come a point where she couldn't become Jennifer Walters anymore. Mm. And I don't, I don't remember if that was a Fantastic Four issue or, or something like that. Like the issue of Daredevil we covered a few weeks ago, this plays out more like an episode of the Hulk TV show than the comics of the time. Banner shows up, gets into trouble, Hulk's out, leaves. Only this time he leaves a new Hulk in his wake. Stan, writing his first Marvel story in decades, retcons a previously unmentioned relative into Banner's life, and one would have thought that at some point Banner would have considered visiting a lawyer about his problem. Especially if that lawyer's a relative and not going to charge him by the hour, but it's not that big of a deal, is it? What is a big deal is that he goes to Jennifer at all. Banner seems to have no real reason for being here. Initially, I did think he was seeking legal counsel for this problem, but that doesn't happen. It also seems strange that Jen isn't being staked out by General Ross, given that she is Banner's relative, and that's well known. I don't think that Banner was known to be the Hulk at 
this point, but it does seem like something General Ross would have done anyway. Finding a doctor living next door was very convenient. I would have much preferred seeing Banner whip up the transfusion using regular equipment to show how smart he is, and him leaving and not thinking the transfusion will have done anything is very stupid. But Stan's telling a fast-paced story that, if it doesn't make much sense, at least entertains. In fact, there's nothing in this that couldn't have been done as an episode of the show, which is pretty sure why it's set in L.A., Fair enough. That's what I think. What do you think, Michael? I actually thought Bruce was a bit of a, a, a scumbag in this one. Shows up out of the blue, right? Mm. His cousin gets shot, so he's like, right, I'll, I'll give her my blood. She turns into the Hulk. He buggers off with this new letting her start of the problem. Yeah, but he buggers off before she hooks out, so he doesn't know at it, that point. It doesn't matter if he's buggered off and she's got a problem yeah, to solve well, on her own. Th- that's something all three of us mentioned, that he didn't think as a doctor and a scientist... Yeah. Wait a minute, I've just given her a blood transfusion. This could go badly. Mm. And he buggered off leaving oh. her in hospital. Yeah, yeah. Up on her. Well, he hulks out, and that's the last we see of him. We don't know that after he returns from the Hulk out, that he doesn't go to the hospital. That may happen in issue two, for all we know. He may show up back at the hospital and go, Ah, there appears to be a big hole in the wall, and I didn't do this. Jennifer, is there anything you want to tell me? So that's possible, isn't it? It's entirely possible. What did you think of the Savage She-Hulk? Just going back to the Doctor, why would he have all that stuff at home? Well, the, he had the sign outside saying he was a doctor, so I thought it was like a... Like a home surgery. Yeah. Right. That's possible. It's still very convenient that it was across the road. Yeah. I'm not letting that go. Does every street have one? Every street has a doctor across the road, yeah. Mm-hmm. Except us. Yeah. How do you know? I'm pretty sure them over the are not doctors. <laughs> you. I'm pretty positive about that. So, as a woman, Michael, <laughs> that joke never gets old. Uh, don't it? Do it is. As a woman, Angela, yes. what did you think of the Savage Evil? I thought it was alright. It was entertaining enough. She wasn't all that savage. She's not particularly mm. savage. Yeah. No. So I heard the depiction of women in that comic was perfectly agreeable. Yeah, because she was smart to begin with. Mm. And she kicked ass. Yes. Alright, fair enough. So thumbs up for Savage She-Hulk then. I thought it was alright. I agree with you. It was it was perfectly serviceable. It rattled along at a first speed. It wasn't overwritten, which is a problem with a lot of 1970s comics. Oh, it was quite underwritten. It, yes, I would. that is a valid point. It, was bas- it basically exists to service the copyright, doesn't it? Yeah. It exists to have a She-Hulk in the Marvel comic, so that if they did create one on the TV show, Marvel got the credit for it. Mm. That's basically it. What did you think? It was fine. That was it. Yeah. It was fine. It's about women. I don't like girls. you got cooties. <sighs> you just don't like girls. No, I'm quite fond of girls. Jennifer Walters is not treated any differently for being a woman, which is to Stan's credit. She's shown as being a career-orientated young woman, but also someone with a keen grasp of law and order. While she is a decent character, there's no escaping that she's just a knockoff of an already existing male character. The story and the character hold up well, though, even if it would take later writers to realise the She-Hulk's potential. And for Holo being a knockoff, she would become a viable and interesting character in her own right. This issue sold a quite staggering 250,000 copies. Well, staggering today, back then it got you cancelled after 25 issues. Our next hero, Ms. Marvel, 
Spawn on this week. Usually it's Marvel, DC, and then the... It's all Marvel this week. Our next hero, Ms. Marvel, was launched into the world in her own number one, cover dated January 1977. In addition to being a fabulous first issue and boasting all-out action, the cover proclaims that this is a bold new superheroine in the census-stunning tradition of Spider-Man. To drive the point home, Peter Parker himself, along with J. Jonah Jameson and Murray Jane Watson, appear on the cover as floaty heads, as does Spider-Man villain The Scorpion. Ms. Marvel holds the centre stage though wearing an outfit that resembles Captain Marvel's except this burrs all of her legs really what she's wearing though doesn't even count as hot pants and a midriff revealing top half I can't see the male Captain Marvel wearing this to be honest I think he should do you think he should do you think it'd suit him not anymore it wouldn't no no, he's dead (laughs) no but any version any male version of Captain Marvel should wear that costume yeah is my thinking We see her fighting the scorpion, hiding behind a door, and, presumably in her civilian guise, answering a phone. Because that's what women do. Answer phones. She's a receptionist. Actually, she isn't. She's not. I I did read it. Did you really? It's more than he ever does. (laughs) To be fair, John Romita and Dick Giordano do a pretty good job on the cover art. What do we think of that cover, ladies and gentlemen? It's pretty good. Do you like that one? Yeah. John Romita, you can't go wrong with John there's Romita. There's stuff going on. There's a fight scene on it. It's yes, good. There's stuff going on. Peter Parker's got blue eyes on the cover. A personal bugbear of mine. He has brown eyes. Ooh. Unless he's played by Tobey Maguire, obviously. Wow. What did you think of the cover? It's very pretty. Do you think so? I think her costume's a little bit impractical. I mean, at least there's an, ex- there's an explanation for why, why? the She-Hulk's burning a lot of skin. Well, one, she's got this kind of floppy scarf. Oh, yeah, that would get in the way. That, that'd get in the way. She's showing off all of her belly and all of her legs. And uh, what are th- that's burly knickers. Oh, yeah, you can get knickers like that. I know, but would you wear them in public? Not like that. No. But I wouldn't go out dressed like that anywhere. No. Personally, wouldn't. I have no problem with the costume. Do you not? Okay. <laughs> would you wear it? That might actually. <laughs> have you seen the male equivalent of Power Girl someone's done? Yeah. Yeah. Where the, the hole is just above his, his, his manhood instead of just showing a big cleavage. In the text page at the back, Jerry Conway states that Stan Lee came up with the idea for the book and Roy Thomas invented the name Ms. Marvel. I can't imagine that took a, a lot of brainstorming, can you? It was a difficult one. It was, yes. It went through a few permutations before ending up with him, and he suggested that Carol Danvers be the titular heroine. Danvers was a secret agent from Cape Kennedy who Conway remembered from an old Captain Marvel comic, and he felt that this was a connection that he may be able to exploit in later stories. One of the permutations that were rejected was pitched by Steve Gerber's girlfriend, Murray Screens. In that pitch, Ms. Marvel would be a dyslexic waitress who was possessed of the super strength whenever she grew angry or outraged. Stan didn't like it. He was probably already working on She-Hulk. The first issue was entitled This Woman, This Warrior and written by Conway with art by John Buscema and Joe Sinnott. The third national bank is being robbed, but fortunately there is a new super being in town, Ms. Marvel. Replete with blonde, farrah flick and hot pants, this 70s style icon swoops in and takes the bad guys down. Hard. Distracted by the disco dunderheads as she is, she fails to see the scorpion around the back, using the tumult as a distraction for his own nefarious ends. Scorpion needs money, jive turkeys, and he aims to get it, you dig? 
Over at the Daily Bugle, J. Jonah Jameson, publisher and forward thinker that he is, thinks the magazine division needs a shot in the arm, and to that end he has duly employed Carol Danvers as editor of a new female-orientated magazine. You know, articles on fashion, diets and recipes. Keep the little lady at home, that's Jonah's thinking. Danvers is having none of that, and figures this may be an opportunity she's been looking for, and, after salary negotiations, takes the gig. Outside, she bumps into Murray Jane Watson and Peter Parker, and MJ wishes to rap. Not like, you know, rap, but rap, as in 70s rap. Talking. Getting it on. Jab, yeah. turkey. Getting it on. Not that kind of guy. Anyway. So she wants to rap and get it on. <laughs> if MJ wishes to get it on with Carol Danvers, who are we to stop her? This is like a Jersey video, this. <laughs> only more classic. Elsewhere, the Scorpion's plan becomes apparent. The money was for Professor Kerwin Corwin, really, and the Scorpion wants to purchase a key to an acid bath of Kerwin's design. He then kidnaps J. Jonah Jameson, who paid for the treatment that turned Mac Gargan into the Scorpion back in Amazing Spider-Man issue 20, and ties him above the acid tank where he monologues incessantly. Elsewhere, Carol Danvers excuses herself from MJ and passes out, and Ms. Marvel, her seventh sense, having told her Jameson has been kidnapped, and where he is, takes to the skies. She locates the Scorpion, who was so busy telling Jonah stuff he already knows, he completely forgot to kill him, and fighty fight takes place. Instead, battle, the Scorpion is flung into the acid vat, and it spills all over him, burning him severely. Ms. Marvel rescues Jonah, and the next day he asks Carol to run an expose on that Marvel dame, but Carol wonders who on earth Ms. Marvel really is. Uh, I quite like Jerry Conway's writing as a rule. He did a stellar run on Spider-Man and created Firestorm for DC, so the guy knows his way around young heroes, but some of the captions in this were very overwrought, and there's an awful lot of dialogue in the early pages telling us what we're seeing in the art, and when you have artists as competent as Buscema and Sinnott, the art speaks for itself. Opening with an action scene is smart as it introduced Marvel's power set, strength, flight, and a seventh sense that seems to be a rip-off of Spider-Man's Spider-Sense in the early portion of the story. Did it just skip over the sixth sense? It did, yeah, because she's a woman. Woman's intuition is a superpower. We know this from reading all Fantastic Four magazines, Mm. where Stan really did (laughs) seem to believe that Sue Richards had woman's intuition as a superpower. She could look at somebody and her woman's intuition would go off and she would go, that person is bad. <laughs> and she would be right nine times out of ten. Fair enough. You know, I found it funny when you said she takes uh, the bad guys down hard. Does she take them down hard or are they hard when she takes them down? Stop it! <laughs> what, do you think they get off on being beaten up by a woman? In that costume, maybe. Much more than they would get off on being beaten up by a man. They don't even have to pay for her to beat them up. Well, they kind of do, <laughs> just not with money. <laughs> Do you think your son is a sexist? <laughs> Only a tiny bit. Excellent, good. I'm glad we uh, are both in agreement about that. Does Ms. Marvel really pick a car up? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then throw it down <laughs> so hard? That's the question. Up. <laughs> no, does she, really, right does she pick the car up, smash it down so hard that the people in the car are forced through the roof? Is that what that panel is showing me? Yes. Yeah. So wouldn't that, you know, kill them? Unless it's a really shabby made car. It could be a convertible, it could be fabric. It could be, but wouldn't that still hurt just a tiny little bit? Only a tiny bit. Uh, Conway has Marvel compared on the next page to Linda Carter. 
And then as a young little girl say, when I grew up, I would have been like her, which is A, a subtle dig at the competition, or two, acknowledging that there aren't that many female role models in comics for little girls up to, to look up to. Sorry. I like the Linda Carter reference. I thought that was quite cool. She makes Linda Carter look like olive oil. Not the stuff that, you, no, 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 you no, know, yeah. olive oil as in... No, that was Popeye. Popeye. Yeah, Popeye's girlfriend is, is olive oil. <laughs> Very good. Both got my Popeye The thing is, though, would you really want your little daughter to grow up wearing something like that? I yeah. don't, I don't. She looks like a Christmas elf. <laughs> <laughs> We're not digging on that costume, are we? I mean, you're, you're, you're obviously stroking yourself over it, but I don't, I don't think that... What, I'm sat here stroking myself in the middle of two I mean, cars. it's one of those... Yes, you totally are. It's one of those things I know women wear clothes that men wouldn't wear, because, you know... Sorry, I thought we were talking about what a kid was wearing. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so you're slagging off the kid's attire. Yeah. yeah. poor little girl with the 70s best Is baseball. that what you were? No. Oh, right. Okay. Dark, dark green jacket, red t-shirt and lime green pants. She's Robin! Of course! <laughs> <laughs> She's going to be Ms. Marvel's sidekick. She's going to be a yellow jacket. In, yes. Okay. All right. If you're still following the Robin motif. Yeah. I thought you were referencing yellow jacket. With a big Uri on his head. Yes. <laughs> so a big sticky out shoulders. So he can pick up cable. <laughs> There's a little oh. speaker in his head. That's actually, that's actually quite cool. Yeah, that would actually be awesome. Carol Danvers attends a job interview with Jonah, where she takes charge of the interview. Jonah says he wants a woman's magazine with articles about fashion, diets and recipes. Carol says no chance. Conway, I thought, was trying a little bit too hard here. Jonah's a lot of things. Yeah. He's not a chauvinist. I, I just quite liked how the women's magazine was called Woman. Because <laughs> us men read magazines called Man. No, we would probably read a magazine called Woman if it had women in it. True. Actually, would you not prefer it to be called Women rather than Woman? Well, just are you not fussy? Maybe, we're not fussy, no, but maybe Carol Danvers will change that name. Just a magazine full of... Hoover reviews. And <laughs> <laughs> That's all women's magazines are. Do you not know that? What did you, what did you think of, of him wanting a magazine that was devoted to fashion, recipes and diets? I thought it was forced. Is that not most women's magazines on the shelf now? If they're not all about soap operas. And you're not into any of that stuff? I, no. I don't get that's the, what I'm. That's what I'm saying. You're no. you're not into any of that. I don't get the knitting magazines. How can you have so many magazines about knitting? They would probably say, how can you have so many magazines about Doctor Who? It's only the Doctor same Who thing. is a continuing show. So knitting. This is just something you... you know, what, what can you make? Knitting, really? A jumper and a skirt? <sighs> and socks and hats and little toys. Well, anywhere. Uh, I actually thought this demeaned Jonah as a character for the sake of comic relief. The guy married a female scientist. Yeah. So he's not a chauvinist. I mean, that said, having her at the Daily Bugle is quite cool because it puts her right in the middle of the Marvel Universe. The downside of that is that it just means that her supporting cast is Peter Parker's supporting I didn't cast. Like that. Did it you know? just felt like Spider-Man. It felt like a, an, an issue of Marvel team-up. Yeah. As if by magic, Peter and Mary Jane show up and despite being all over the cover... Yeah. He's in the senses-shattering style of Spider-Man and Peter Parker's right there on the cover. Senses-shattering style of Spider-Man, meaning in a Spider-Man comic. Yeah, he's he's in for two panels and has two words. Hello, lady. That's it. That's all he says. That's just Peter Parker. Yeah, maybe he's just not very friendly, Peter Parker. Maybe he just doesn't like people. Again, what, that's, that's you, from his point of view, he's a nice bloke. He's all misunderstood. <laughs> but in another person's comic, he's up. Right. <laughs> 
Well, he's here with Mary Jane for some reason. Because why not? Because why not? Yeah. Because he's from Krypton. Did you not take your missus around your workplace? Not as a rule. <laughs> that no. went outside. Yeah, she didn't want to come in, do you? <laughs> uh, MJ speaks to Carol. And then we see them arriving at Carol's apartment where MJ is shown the door. We never learn either what Mary Jane wanted Carol for, do we? Or did I miss something? She just wanted to chat with him. Yeah, I I just find it funny how um, Mary Jane is a female supporting cast. So so why doesn't she uh, be best friends with Carol? Why doesn't she be best friends? Well, no, see, they do mention later on, they mention something about Mary Jane's photography. But I don't recall Mary Jane have it ever having anything to do with photography. Other than being in front of the camera. Yeah, well, that's what I'm... Some, some, that would have made more sense. Her photographs. Yeah. We'll talk about your photography tomorrow. Now, as you said photographs... That would have made sense. That would have made more sense. This is MJ going, ah, they're starting up a woman's magazine at the Daily Bugle. I could be in here Actors want to be directors. Why can models not want to be photographers? I know, but that's the only hint that we get why MJ it, approached It's never her. been a, an issue no, before. No, or since. If she'd actually said to her, look, I'm a part-time model, if you want somebody for this magazine, I'm available, all right, let's go and talk about it. But they don't. Mm-hmm. MJ just hits on Carol and go, hey, should we go out for lunch? If somebody came up to you in your workplace that you'd never met before and said, hey, should we go out to lunch and be besties, what would you do? Uh, Make your excuses. Yeah. If someone came up to mum and spoke to her, what would she do? <laughs> she'd stir at them with the laser eyes that she has. Why are you talking to me? No, you're not. Worse. You're not. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it with that. That's yeah. just with you, dear. That seems perfectly okay. This whole Ms. Marvel takes over when Carol passes out thing would be used later for Spider-Man and the black costume. It's an interesting idea, but where does Carol think she's been out whilst this is going on? And does she have to pass out every time a crime happens? Does her seventh sense tingling knock Carol Danvers out? Is that how it worked? That's it's fortunate that she was at home and managed to lie down in bed, though, wasn't it? Yeah, and get rid of Mary Jane yeah. as well, just before she happened to pass out. Uh, the Scorpion's plan made no sense. Yeah. He steals money to buy a key to an oversized acid bath. He then kidnaps Jonah, takes him to the bath, ties him above it like an old movie serial heroine, which I presume is intentional, then proceeds to rant for a few minutes, giving Ms. Marvel ample time to get to him and save his life. So other than reversing the stereotype of those aforementioned old serials, why didn't Scorpion just drop Jonah off a building? Mm. Wouldn't that have made more sense? And a lot cheaper. And a lot cheaper for him, yeah. He wouldn't have had to steal money to buy this acid bath. I, I don't get the thing he's hanging from with these little handcuffs. They'll dislocate his arms. Yeah, this just a little bit just didn't make sense to me. In fact, the, he's got his entire weight on his thumbs, though. You think? Well, yeah, because the handcuffs. Yeah, because it's just like that. Right, yeah, okay, so Jonah's broke his wrists, if yeah. nothing else. Hmm. Why did he not just toss him in the acid bath? Or toss him <laughs> off in the acid bath? <laughs> the seventh sense is not a rip-off of the spider sense, as I predicted earlier. It can apparently tell the future. Of course. Of course it can. <laughs> Ms. Marvel knew Jonah was going to be kidnapped and can see what is happening from miles away and then she knows where he's being taken because of this very vague seventh sense thing. Is, is seeing into the future a side effect of women's intuition? Yeah, do you not know that? I, I did not know that, no. Can the Cree see into the future? Because she's powered by the Cree. 
Yeah. Is that one of their powers? I don't know, actually. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was very woolly. And has the potential to actually ruin the drama. If she knows when things are going to happen, and where they're going to happen, and how they're going to happen, before they actually happen... Then why does she let Jonah get into this mess? Yeah, well, where's the conflict? Yeah. What's an issue going to be? We open up the comic every month, and she's right, I've stopped these from doing this that they were just about to do. And then it's 20 pages of her editing a magazine. <laughs> and is Spider-Man the same then, because she's already saved everybody? Yeah, Spider-Man's bored now, with <laughs> nothing else to do. That's the Avengers out of business. <laughs> the next issue of Avengers is Iron Man, Thor and Captain America. Just playing cards. Just playing cards with each other, yeah. An issue with Jarvis just working in the kitchen, hoovering up. And Tony Stark pointed out that Steve Rogers is crap at bluffing. <laughs> you just can't lie, Steve. You're just no good at it. And Steve sat there going, I've got no money left. Is oh. that when they all get together and just lock her up in Magneto's little cube? Yes. <laughs> Uh, Ms. Marvel going after the Scorpion is an example of this seven cents drivel. Without this rather convenient plot device, Marvel knows nothing about the Scorpion robbing the bank or his kidnapping of Jameson. And I just thought it was a really woolly way of bringing her into the plot. Mm. Oh, my seventh sense has told me that a bad guy is doing something. I must stop them. Oh, he's doing it with J. Jonah Jameson, who I just happened to be working for. Kel, surprise, what are the odds? And she didn't think if I leave him, I could be in charge of this paper. Well, presumably Robbie Robertson would be in charge of the paper. She could work her way up. Well, she's already in charge of Woman magazine. Wow. So, you know. There's no further to go, is there? (laughs) I found it so funny when she was talking to Robbie Robertson. Who are you? I don't know. I don't have a name. Well, okay then, miss. Ah, it's the police. It looks like they want you for something, miss. <laughs> yeah, how she gets her name is a bit crap, isn't it? it, it the does... newspapers game. Yeah, well, no, the commonly... It is commonly used now that magazines or newspapers will name the character. And here we call her Ms. Marvel throughout this entire comic simply because the omniscient narrator on page one tells us to. She doesn't have a name until the back end. Yeah. And she only decides to call herself Ms. Marvel because the Scorpion. She calls herself Ms. Marvel because Scorpion points out that she's wearing a costume that looks like Captain Marvel's. Yeah, I, I always assumed it was because of the relation to yeah. Captain Marvel. I mean, there are worse names, I suppose, but I think she should just call herself Admiral Marvel. Admiral? <laughs> yeah, she should totally go, well, if he's Captain Marvel, I will be Admiral Marvel. General Marvel. Yeah, General Marvel, whatever. I think, I don't know, just been, just uh, Chief Marvel. Marvel. General. Yeah. <laughs> I think give herself a rank. Instead of being Ms. Nothing screams 70s more than Ms. Nothing screams woman more than Ms. <laughs> so, yeah, she should have should have gone, well, I'll be Captain Marvel as well. Oh, I prefer, I will be Admiral Marvel. That would have been much funnier. Just a marching band following us. Yeah, speaking of funny... Lady Marvel. Lady Marvel. (laughs) Lady Marvel's very good as well. Joan is hysterically funny. I love this. I offered you everything, money, fame, membership at my private club! Like, yeah, that's going to swing it, Jonah. Mm. Why do you want to kill me? Well, why do you think, Jonah? Because you made him the scorpion. That's why he wants to kill you. Oh, dear me. There's a couple of good fight scenes. Ms. Marvel does not remember who she is. And Conway seems to be presenting it as a mystery that... Marvel of who she is sorry but given that he's only really given us one suspect it's not much of a mystery so I can't really subscribe to the idea that he was deliberately setting this up uh, on the whole this was an adequate first issue there's a decent central mystery but it's more where did Ms. Marvel come from rather than who is she on the face of it this is really no different to many other Marvel superhero comics of the time except the title character is a woman which is 
I suppose, the best kind of equality. It seems a little strange that the creative team is all men, although Carla Conway gets a shout-out, and there are moments where Conway tries a little bit too hard. It's doubtful that he would have written the same scene where Danvers runs rings around Jonah, for example, for a man, but it gets the point for stating that women aren't only interested in fashion, baking and diets. Many magazines today could do with learning that lesson. The fact that the origin isn't even touched upon is also a nice touch. We're just thrown right into the action and Conway would finally get around to the origin in issue two where he would explain that her powers come from being exposed to Cree radiation which also bestowed upon her the knowledge and instinct of a Cree warrior. Of course. How did we not see that when we were reading the issue? Because you didn't have a seven cents. That's very true. The art is wonderful in that way that Buscema and Sinnott couldn't be anything else. Ms. Marvel had all the hallmarks of success, but alas, didn't find an audience, even when Chris Clermont came on as writer with issue three and fixed all the holes in her costume. She was cancelled after 23 issues. What did you think of it, Michael? Uh, I wasn't so fond of it. Why not? I don't know. It, it just... As a as a, a member of the male persuasion, allegedly, it, it did it, sure. <laughs> it did seem like it was very the whole women thing was very heavy handed. Look, she's a woman. This so is a comic about a woman. A male writer trying too hard to be a feminist, whereas yeah. perhaps if a female writer had written it, it would have been a lot more even handed. That and it just wasn't a very good story. Okay, I did quite like how it was played, as though we weren't supposed to know that they were the same person. Yeah, but was it really played like that? Was there ever really any doubt? It, it, it read like that. Right. Okay, token. What did you think of it? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bit dull. Did you? Did you not like that one? What did you not like about it compared to the Savage She-Hulk? Well, amnesia works every time, doesn't it? Yes, it totally does. That's that's all you had to say about you it. You were a great co-host. Yes, yeah, you're excellent. Well, give me something decent to read. Well, the whole you point of... You wanted me to read these because you wanted women. We wanted and a woman's where, where point we, of view. Where was she when we did Lone Wolf and Cool? Yeah, and where were yeah. we when we did Spider-Man Blue, which is awesome. And stuff that I actually like reading, like Walking Dead. And you know, when people get the, the heads... Bitten off, and when there's blood and guts everywhere. Yeah, she'd be down That's with all that. Like it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, no, Ms. The, Ms. Marble, no good then. The the only bit that I went, I thought, yeah, go on, was where they were negotiating a salary. All right, so you liked that bit. I liked that bit, yeah. Right. Okay. But that enough. that was it. So She Hulk was better than Ms. Marvel. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. What about you? Yeah, but that's like saying having your arm bitten off is better than having. Your oh no! See, I decided that I think she, I think the Savage She-Hulk was a rollicking good read. It did exactly what it, it was set a better out read. To do. Yeah, it was designed to give you a female version of the Hulk, and it did it economically and quickly. It didn't get bogged down with exposition. It didn't try too hard well, to it, sell that this was a female-led comic. She it, was just a girl. She was intelligent. She had a job. Oh dear! Now she's She-Hulk. Whereas the Ms. Marvel stuff did feel the exposition in Ms. Marvel's horrible. Yeah, the, the fighting with Scorpion. Well, the fighting, but they're having a, a, just a conversation about where she gets the superpowers from. And the Scorpion's like, "What do you mean you don't know? Tell me more, Miss Marvel." <laughs> As we fight with each other. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe he was just getting off on her costume. I don't know. The Ms. Marvel one did. I agree with Anne. I think it felt like he was trying too hard to write a, a deliberately female-centric comic book. Whereas maybe if he just eased off that a little bit and just introduced her as a character in her own right, we wouldn't be having this discussion. And maybe it would have lasted more than 23 issues. Mm. So. Well, she's still around. 
Carol Danvers is still around, isn't she? She's not Ms. Marvel anymore. What is she now? Is she an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D.? No, she's still Ms. Marvel. Is she? Yeah. I thought she'd taken on a different name. No, it's still... <laughs> no, it's Captain that? Marvel now. Is she? So what happened to Monica Rambo? I don't know. Who was also Captain Marvel. I, I don't know. So you can have more than one Captain Marvel. She's Captain Marvel now. Right, okay. In the Kelly Sue DeConnick run. Yes. Well, anyway, another female character introduced in the glorious 1970s was Red Sonia. On the face of it, Sonia is another of those characters that is just a spin-off of a male counterpart, but Sonia would book the odds and become an established and memorable character in her own right. Created by Roy Thomas and Barry Windsor Smith, she was a reworked version of a Robert E. Howard character called Red Sonia, with a Y. Thomas rewrote the story she first appeared in, The Shadow of the Vulture, from 1934, as a Conan tale, first printed in Conan the Barbarian, issue 23. He modified the character slightly and changed the spelling of her name, and Oh, yeah, he made it a Conan story when it was originally a historical piece set in the 16th century. This story, The Song of Red Sonia, first appeared in Conan the Barbarian, issue 24, cover dated March 1973. It was a notable story for two reasons. Number one, it won the 1973 Academy of Comic Book Art Award for the Best Single Story, Dramatic, and B, for having two panels be censored before publication. When Marvel reprinted the story in one of the Conan Treasury editions, it would be uncensored, but when Dark Horse recently re-reprinted it in the Conan Chronicles volumes, it was the edited version. Confused yet? So what did you censor? Which panels were they? Well, we will talk the about them. The ones in the them. water? Yeah, the ones in the water. We'll talk about them later on. Uh, I thought the cover was excellent, showing Conan and Red Sonia deep in battle in the tavern. It's very detailed and packed with figures and action. Windsor Smith's last hurrah. What do you think of that cover, Michael? I liked it. It's excellent, isn't it? It's, it's Conan. I mean, I have a problem with the rest of the story for being Conan, but I like the cover. <laughs> what? Like, what? There is absolutely nothing wrong with this issue. There's everything wrong with this comic. Stop um, at it. It's absolutely knackered, isn't should, it? Should we, should we get into the story? We'll get into we, it, we, yeah. We'll talk about. It's a very we'll busy cover. It's good. Is it? Is that? Do, do you not like that cover? No, I like more simple covers. I don't think it is busy. I think the colour makes it not busy. The colour does, because it's all tonal, it, it does kind of mute it down a bit, but it just looks very busy. Right, so uh, it looks better. I think it looks great in black and white, but I think it looks great anyway, because I'm a mark for Barry Windsor-Smith. Mm. I think Barry Windsor Smith's a, a very underrated artist. Okay, shall we uh, get into the song of Red Sonia? In a rowdy tavern in Macalette, Red Sonia dances up a storm upon the bar. Yes, it's Coyote Ugly Hiberian Division. Sonia's comely form spurs the drunken men into a fervour and one, Big Jacks, wants Sonia for himself. The other men don't take too kindly to the interruption, least of all Conan, and a tavern brawl breaks out. Dispatching any and all comers, Conan and Sonia take off together and some moonlit night swimming ensues, with Sonia shedding her clothes but not her virtue, much to Conan's displeasure, and she says that Conan may be able to help her with a quest over at the Palace Royal. Stealing the horses of the local constabulary, Conan and Sonia make their way to a tower in a part of the palace grounds that are unfamiliar to Conan. At Sonia's behest, he aids her in climbing the sheer tower wall, and inside is met with a glorious sight, a room full of jewels and gold all tossed around haphazardly. Sonia suggests Conan check the corridors for guards, and with him out of the way, she finds what she came for, the serpent tiara of King Ganeth. 
She moves to leave, but without warning, the tiara becomes like a thing alive, causing the normally more than capable Sonya to scream in terror. Conan rushes back in and quickly deduces Sonya's treachery, but desires her fall, and so wades into battle, cleaving the serpent's fangs from its mouth with a mighty swing of his sword. The beast does not take kindly to this and slides itself around the Cimmerian, preparing to crush the life out of him. Conan hurls a hastily grabbed casket of coins down the beast's gullet, and he and Sonya take the offensive, ramming their swords through the beast's heads and learning that even a beast of magic can die. Sonya manages to say the words that will return the beast to its tiara-like state, and she and Conan take their leave. Conan says he wants repayment for this night and not in jewels, but as they climb back down the ropes outside, Sonya sets it to flame, burning the Sumerian's hands and causing him to fall to the ground. Sonya takes off with her bounty, saying Conan wouldn't be entering her temple anytime soon, and Conan vows that they will meet again. If only this was a visual medium, lovely listener. <laughs> Michael just enacted that entire synopsis. Mum helped. In his own inimitable fashion. Were you Conan and, and your mum was Sonia? No, we, no, we, we both did. Yeah. Did, you know, did you both do little bits? Yeah. Did you? Okay. Well, I read didn't. <laughs> oh. Uh, the opening splash page is Sonia dancing on the bar. It's Coyote Ugly. It's totally Coyote Ugly. It's the Holy Grail of comic books. But not this one, obviously. That, that would be... Spider-Man 120. I thought she was missing a pole, actually. Did you? Well, she's probably not missing it. Well. She's probably worked a pole in her day. Tom Jones is playing in the background. She can leave the hat off. <laughs> well, she seems quite well known as well, which may be a product of her appearance in the last issue, which I've never read. But she doesn't seem to work here, does she? She just seems to be stood on the bar dancing. No? Woman dancing. Problem. Whoa. Uh, we can intuit that her dancing here was merely to get Conan's attention. Which, of course, it does. Mm. Because if Conan has a flaw, it's his love of books and women. Do, do you not think Conan is just Thor? What's his face who played? Chris Hemsworth in almost every film we've seen Chris Hemsworth in. <laughs> I think Conan's Hercules more than he's Thor. He's just there for the wine, the women, and the song, isn't he? And if a good fight happens along his way. Yeah, he's Gannicus from Spartacus. He's there for the women, he's there for the grog, he's there to fight. That's pretty much it. In fact, he'd made a pretty good Conan, wouldn't he? Gannicus. What was his name? Chloe Dustin. Dustin Clark. <laughs> Clark. Yeah, that's his name, Dustin Clark. Yeah, but it's I mean, I've got it the other way around. He'd be, he'd be a pretty good Conan, actually, now that I think about it. Originally, I thought Crixus would have been a good Conan. But actually, no, Gannicus would suit it better. Uh, Big Jax was once a man of no small ability, but a sword blow to the head has left him not quite what he once was. You can see the uh, the marks on his knuckles from where he's dragged him. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you can see the mark in his head where the sword's cleaved his hair off and left a big scar in his skull. Yeah. So uh, you think the implication is that he's been lobotomised in some way? Uh, I, th- I thought it was quite nice of Sonya to actually, you know, say she would spend some time with him. I thought that was quite nice of her. She didn't have to say that. Obviously, I'm being glowed at as if this is a bad idea. She was obviously only saying it. You think? <laughs> you think she, she wouldn't actually be there to aid no. and assist? All right, fair enough. Uh, the barroom brawl is fun, and Conan was quite enjoying it as such until somebody ruins it and brings out steel. Conan replies in kind. To be fair, his kill count isn't as big as it is in other issues. No, it's not. It's not. He only kills two or three people in this, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. He drinks far too much and has too much time ogling Sonya to be killing men, doesn't he? 
the blood's run to different parts of his body in this particular issue. That's what like, issue's about. Yeah, pretty much. Which Sonya takes full advantage of. Yeah. This, she's manipulating him from the get-go. The moral of this story is women will use sex against you. <laughs> uh, it was a neat... Yeah. yeah, pretty much. It was a neat touch that on the way out the door, Conan helps himself to some beer. Yeah. Oh, that was quite funny. Uh, one of the things about all the Conan stories that I've read that have really impressed me is how Roy Thomas has managed to have such an undercurrent of sexual tension to them without being blatant about it. There are lines here about Big Jack still having certain desires, and later Sonia questions Conan's manhood when she knocks him back for favours, and he says, I've killed men for less. And she asks, what, for kissing them? Which I thought was a funny line. Mm. I like that, I thought it was funny. However, as mentioned in the intro, this issue was too much for somebody in the editorial department. It's implied in the original art, available in the reprints, that Conan and Sonia are skinny-dipping, but Sonia was provided with some extra cover by some art touch-ups, and Conan's hands were moved up slightly so they weren't so obviously caressing her naked buttocks. Thomas even has Sonia wonder, quite subtly, if Conan's prowess in other areas than just scaling walls matches the rumours. And all that was quite subtly done. If you're a kid and you're reading this, that's just going to all sail straight off your head, isn't it? But if you're reading it as an adult, you're going, I wonder what other area she's thinking of. I don't think you're wondering. No, I'm not wondering that at all. Is the page with the poem about the mirrors a subplot for another issue? I'm, I'm asking you, you're not going to know it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this happens twice as two little interviews. Yeah. This is a nice little story, I guess. Yeah. I thought when I was reading it, I thought, oh, this is going to come into play when they get to where yeah. they're going. Well, some creepy skeletal guy who's scared of himself. All right, Skeletor's getting a crossover. The He-Man crossover is confirmed. Um, Conan would win. A, a, an underage marriage next time. So, all right, okay, there's going to be a subplot here soon. It's in the same castle. Uh, to be fair, this confused the hell out of me. But Conan does mention Karim Akkad has cursed mirrors later on in the story. So like you, and I thought that was going to play into the actual story at some point. And every other... Conan's story I've read is, is self-contained though, so was this a subplot that gets paired off in another issue or whatever? I mean, granted, everything else I've read is from Savage Sword of Conan. Mm. This was the first issue of Conan the Barbarian I've ever read. I've always read the big black and white phone books that your mum bought me. So this was the first Conan, so I didn't know I didn't get that at all. Other than, like I say, Conan mentions the mirrors, but he doesn't do anything with them, does he? There's no payoff. What do you do with the mirror, really? No. Well, the, the, the implication here is there is something in the mirror that is terrifying. I thought it was himself. It may be. I don't well. Because the, the dialogue goes through a great deal to mention he's got skeletal hands and his appearance and all that. Yeah, no, that confused the hell out of me. I just thought maybe this is a subplot for another issue and it, it's ultimately irrelevant. It's irrelevant to enjoying this story. Hmm. It doesn't really mean you can skip that page and it, it doesn't matter at all. I presume that Sonya is being paid by the king to return his tiara to him, although that's never actually spelt out. It's yeah. logical to assume she's been hired am by somebody. Who, am I the only one who sees the tower? Um, Phallically. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, there's only you see that. Conan climbs up a big... big a big phallus. Yes. <laughs> did you see that when you read it? Or did you just see a tower? I, no, I didn't see it when I read it, but I'm looking at it, it now. I just it was a fancy-looking tower. Oh, I just thought it was a tower. I it's imagine really that, it being like the rainbow bridge and changing colour. And yeah, it probably does. Like the uh, the road to Asgard. 
Sonia not remembering to mutter the sacred incantation that will keep the tiara from becoming a murderous snake seemed rather stupid. I thought she did it on purpose so that it would kill Connor and she could get away and get rid of both of them. See, I didn't, I didn't get that she did it on purpose. I think I'd remember if I was doing this the one thing that took this task from me relatively easy to inordinately risky. No, I was kidding. I know you were kidding. I could tell by your face. I, I, I thought that was a bit daft that she didn't remember that. It is implied that Sonya is bewitched. You do have moments like that where the thing you need the most you completely forget. And and like I say, it does imply when she looks into the eyes of the snake it does something. So I suppose that's entirely possible. Alright, go on then, I'll give her a pass. Seeing as you've managed to convince me. Doesn't she say the words, though? Later yeah, on, she, she does. does on the first pa- yeah, so. on the first page of part three, she says it, but by that point, it's too late. It's already it's transformed. Already so the incantation was supposed to be spoken as she picked it up to stop it from transforming. Yeah. And now it's already transformed. She's like, oh, mm. dear me, I've made a slight goof. That's exactly what she said. We do get a by Crom on the. We do well. We get a by the bones of Crom. It's just so it's, it's the same thing, yeah. If you edit that little bit out, then yeah, it's it still Krom. works, doesn't it? Yeah. As with the page concerning Karim Akkad, I didn't understand the relevance of the king and queen bit. Did you two? No. No. We say it's in the same castle. Yeah, well, like, this is going on in another part of the castle, but so so what? That's a very boring side <laughs> of the castle. I mean, what was the implication? He's much older than her, and they're not getting along, and now they are getting along. So what? I don't care. I want to see more fighting. <laughs> they don't get along, so they have a sword fight. Ooh, this, this, this is good, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's nice on the next couple of pages when Conan realises that he's been had. And he contemplates just leaving Sonya, doesn't he? He contemplates yeah. just going. And not because he's been betrayed, but because he's scared. Which I thought was a nice little character nugget. Conan is fearful of magic-spawned beasts. Normally he doesn't show fear. He wades in with his sword because he's a bit of a lunkhead mm. when he's a younger man. But it's nice because it shows he's not a complete lunkhead in this story. Other stories emphasise Conan's intelligence, believe it or not. There are stories when he's older where he's a lot smarter than this. He would have to be. And he's well read as well. There are stories when the blood goes to his other head. <laughs> there are stories where he's not always thinking with his manhood. Let's no, there's not. Way. There are. There are other Conan stories where he's not always like this. The only two that you've made me read. Well, <laughs> all three you made me read. Yeah, but I've read a lot more than that. <laughs> and there are now stories that I have read where he's not thinking with that One particular out of every member. ten. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, no, he is. He's like that. But that's what he is. Wine, women, song, fight. That's Conan. Just not always in that not order. Not always in that order, no. It, I mean, his fear doesn't prevent him from just wading in. Mm. So, so that was quite good. The fight's well choreographed and paced by Barry Windsor-Smith, and dialogue-wise, I like that Conan couldn't help but throw a few barbs at Sonya, all but calling her a tart for manipulating him. Yeah. He's an enlightened man, (laughs) is Conan, isn't he? No, to be fair, that's what I thought. Did you? (laughs) Really? Yeah, when me and Mum were talking about this the other day. I actually loved Sonya in this. Sonya went into this knowing, A, exactly what she wanted to do, and B, how to get it, and she went about following that plan studiously I didn't see anything wrong with that she manipulates him from the get go and he only falls for it because he's stupid and he's not thinking with his head she went into it knowing what Conan's like and she used that against him for a play to her I know I, I thought Sonya was great in this session but you know there's a quick mention of King Cull 
another of Robert E. Howard's creations that would soon be a Marvel comic. And the ending is quite humbling for Conan. He got absolutely he doesn't get nothing out of it. Yeah, he didn't even get the girl, did he? I love the ending, though. You know in superheroes and stories where they vow reve- uh, revenge <laughs> yeah. on the, the, the man who killed his parents? Yes. This, this issue ends with, I will get revenge for not you not sleeping with me. <laughs> yeah, um... You know, it's a standard Conan tale, enlivened by the appearance of Sonia. Nowhere referred to as Red Sonia, apart from in the title. She cut quite the figure under Windsor Smith's pencils, all auburn tresses and sea-green eyes. And I think, crucially, this is her story. It's not Conan's. Conan's led by his manhood for the entire issue, a character flaw that has often led him into danger and wants Sonia exploits to the full. She's not afraid to use her naked body to get what she wants, but she nevertheless is far more conservatively dressed than we normally expect Red Sonia to be. Nowhere to be seen is the quite frankly impractical chainmail bikini seen in other incarnations of the character, rather this Sonia was a full chainmail shirt. Yes, yeah, she's only wearing hot pants, but, you know, hot pants seem to be in this season, don't they? But the fact that she's covered with a, a chainmail top makes more sense for a warrior. You know, she's not spilling out everywhere when she's swinging a sword. Not spelt out in the story, but heavily implied, is that Sonya targeted Conan for this task and has manipulated him throughout the issue. And Conan, being Conan, is too taken with her outward appearance to realise he's been duped until quite late in the game. Personally, as I just said, if Conan is this dumb, he deserves to be taken for a ride, although not the ride he would have liked to have been taken for. Sonya steadfastly refuses to give that up. I thought she was quite a character. I've got a few issues with her motivations... She's only going to give herself to a man who beats her in combat. Maybe she's into that. This, I thought this was weird. I mean, she's not going to give herself to someone who loves her, but someone who can beat her up. Uh, Conan's mad enough to beat her up at the end of the issue, to be honest. And enjoy it. And probably no, enjoy if you it. take away the woman battery, it's not that, that he's on about, that she's on about, is it? Is it not? No. What do you think? That somebody who's better Guess than her or equal... Yeah. She's not going to sleep with somebody who's, you know, one prod and he's dead. I know, but you can't take away the fact that for her to achieve that, the man has to beat her. Take, yeah, but it's just yeah, the time period, isn't death. it? Yeah, but Well, <laughs> one would hope not. <laughs> I mean, I don't think even Conan would cross that line. <laughs> no, because that's the story. Yeah. Dave. At the beginning of the story, Conan's having a fight that. and laughing about it. It's just the time period. Well, okay. All right. So you're saying that in this particular time period, Sonia is judging men by being able to best her in battle. Yeah. So, but if she a felt real man, a real that Sam Conan's not, is he not? Well, it Conan give her a shine of that match with a chainmail. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear God! You know, I thought she was a really strong character, capable of leading. <laughs> Conan, or not difficult really when you have a shapely thigh and an ample bosom. Of the three we've covered tonight, I thought this was by far the best of the three of them. Think, given our previous opinion. discussions, you're on your own. Right, all right. Well, why why do you not have these previous discussions actually on the show? That would have been helpful. Because oh, we, we were making you think we hadn't bothered reading them. Yeah. Oh, I, right. I do find it funny that you wanted to pick comics that show strong leading female characters, and this one is about a woman who uses sex to get what she wants, which isn't that much of a positive uh, character be trait. Trait. Yeah. Um, I didn't actually think of it that way. I originally picked the first appearances 
of three relatively well-known characters. Well, all right, maybe not Ms. Marvel. And it was only late on in the day I thought of, of asking your mum her opinions on it, which is what we're going to do now. The only one of them that I thought was likeable was She-Hulk. Well, she She-Hulk. She-Hulk. Oh, as Jennifer Hulk. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I don't know what the She-Hulk is. Well, as She-Hulk or as Jennifer Walters? Both. Right. Okay. You, you sympathise for her, don't you? She just gets ditched with this Hulk problem. Yeah. She's already <laughs> smart she and worked her way up. As She-Hulk, she takes care of herself and doesn't take no crap and sorts out these guys who've tried to kill her. Yeah, well, that's that's what we've said when we just discussed She-Hulk and Ms. Marvel. Stan's not making any effort to make any kind of statement, no. is he? He's basically created a character there and thought, right, well, I'm just going to make her have a proper job. This is what I was saying. It's the best kind of equality. Bruce just shows up. Jennifer's a fully-fledged woman in her own career. She's not got anything... They've not shoehorned in a love interest because a love interest has to be in a comic to appeal to a woman, doesn't it? Otherwise, you're not going to read it or watch it. That's just the way of things. Whereas, yeah, the Ms. Marvel one was trying too hard. I am quite surprised you didn't like Sonya. Why did you not like Sonya? See, when I was writing that, and I just... I didn't... Because of all the things you've said about her, she's manipulative and she's using him and no, I just didn't like her at all. But then, mm. afterwards, when I was thinking about it, I was thinking, she's so much like Leela. Oh, in the Doctor Who Leela? Yeah, she just, afterwards, it was like, well, I like her so much. And they're similar. Yeah, but the difference is Leela is a very naive, childlike character who is also a warrior. And the yeah. doctor is essentially teaching her to not be childlike. He's showing her there is more to the world than she thought there was. Whereas Sonia lives in this very male-dominated world. Conan is... It is a sexist strip. All the men are men and the women are women. And the women are expected to know their place. And that's what Conan thinks. The women are supposed to perform certain functions and that's it. And the idea that... Sonia comes along and is more than capable of holding her own with Conan Mm. was quite interesting and revolutionary at the time that they did it because she's not straight from the stories she's been adapted from other different places and Roy Thomas made her work I love the Conan issue but I really did think he deserved it he was an idiot in in the story we covered though there was a woman in it who was a warrior who was just as strong as Conan yeah she slept with him but she was still a strong warrior woman. Yeah, but at the end of that, she still gave herself to Conan. So, tacitly, she's acknowledging that Conan is her better, whereas no, Sonya is acknowledging that he's her equal, but he's still not good enough for her. No, I'd say that the other story proved that she was just as equal as Conan. Because she's just a female equivalent because of Conan. she was a warrior, and they slept together. So and it, it yeah. was just as... It was not agreeable. It was just a consensual on both sides. Yeah. And, and then she went her way and he went his way and then maybe they never saw each other again. She, she wasn't as dislikable as Red Sonja. Really? Okay. Which is funny because I, I, I quite like Red Sonja. I, I thought I really enjoyed this. I, maybe my enjoyment of Barry Windsor Smith's artwork is covering what I think about I think it was a good story. The I, other Conan stories were better than that. Which, we did the Red Elephant one, didn't we? The the one with the, the dinosaur and the empty sitter. Yeah. And the one with the, the snow girl. Yes, Frost Giant's daughter. And they were both so much better than this. Yeah. All right, fair enough. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed Conan the Barbarian. 
it would have been my pick up favourite of tonight followed by She-Hulk with Ms. Marvel quite low down on the totem pole no that was the bottom of mine that was worse than Ms. Marvel, really? Yeah. I wouldn't put it that far. <laughs> this had fighting in it. Yeah, this at least had sword fights. Yeah. You know, you can't go wrong with a good sword fight. I mean, he loses points yeah. for Red Sonja's outfit, but you know. I thought he gained points for Red Sonja. I prefer outfit. the other one, and it's not. The Shade Male <laughs> Bikini makes Did no he not sense. Did not gain it in the one where she's in the water with no outfit? Well, yeah, it's I don't the, mind that bit at all. It's but when she's fighting. It makes sense to not be wearing something where you're going to be popping out. It's not even from the point of view as, oh yeah, she's got boobs in the chair in the other one. It's just, I don't know. She's got boobs it's in that. It's more the iconic image more than the chainmail coat. The chainmail bikini yeah. is iconic. What is it? It's just, it's just a, Maybe it was a bit chilly that day. She's just wearing a hockey shirt but made out of chainmail. <laughs> I think it makes much more sense but that's, that's just... With, with a massive sleeves, that'd be a pain in the ass when you're waving your swords about. Yeah, I, I thought chainmail was a bit tighter than that around the sleeves. Yeah, but you know, and also chainmail's very uncomfortable. So, and you know this because you work for school every day. <laughs> of course I do. <laughs> School's pretty it's down rough, you know. Yeah. School, yeah. <laughs> you know this because yesterday you got in a sword fight and you donned your chainmail. I I know this because I did history in school. Right, I'm glad to know you did something in school. You're always bloody it up. Right. Well, do we have anything else to say? All right, well, next time we'll try and invite you on and A, you may speak, and B, we'll invite you for something that is good. I spoke. I, I quite enjoyed those, I'll be honest with you. I thought Ms. Marvel was the weaker of the three, but I still enjoyed reading it. Oh, we should do Preacher with them. Why? Because that'll be fun. You like Preacher. I do like you, Preacher. You might say something on that show. <laughs> next time on an all-new episode of Hey Kids Comics, Where Were You? The Night When Stacy Died. Now, I know what you're thinking, lovely listener, but you said you won't do superheroes. Yes. We can't not do The Night When Stacey Died, can we? For several reasons. Uh, One of which is there's a movie out there that kind of loosely adapts that. Last night we both came home and read it. Yeah, and we've decided, yeah, we can't not do it. And because we planned to do it at the end of the 70s shows, and then I'm, I'm pretty sure you thought, wait a minute, I'll forget. Yeah. So we're sandwiching it in next week because we both read it last night. It'll be an interlude, the 70s interlude. Yeah, it's, it's still the 70s, isn't it? I guess. We're going back in our word. You, see, we, you said we weren't going to do superheroes and yet we did two today. We did, I said, yep. Yeah. You also said we were going to do uh, both companies. And <laughs> See you next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye. She's all you'd ever want She's the kind I'd like to flaunt And take to dinner But she always knows her place She's got style, she's got grace She's a winner She's a lady Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only. And no infringement is intended, so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us as we have no money. Certainly this show was not turned into a lucrative revenue stream as no money is made from this either, which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them, and look after them, but are probably not to be taken too seriously. 
New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com. And Hey Kids Comics is a part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. And we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name, and Comics as the surname. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. Please me She's a lady